listening to episode 167 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season one of TNT's The Librarians. And tonight we're here to discuss season one, episode seven of The Librarians, titled The Librarians and the Rule of Three, and you've got a joke. Okay, so this one, I, I actually knew this joke a long time ago, uh, but the Game of Thrones people uh, pinched it from me. But I'm going to tell it. In, uh, in, in our world, rather than Westeros. So, into a bar goes, well, I heard it in England, so, or in Ireland, so this is how they tell it in Ireland. Okay, so, into the bar goes Paddy Englishman, Paddy Scotsman, and Paddy Irishman. They both go up to the bar, and they order a Guinness apiece. Well, the barman gives them the Guinness, and right as they're about to drink, a fly flew into each of them right at the same time, into their beers. The Englishman pushed it away disdainfully and left the bar. The Scotsman picked up the fly, chucked him aside, and continued to drink his beer. The Irishman picked up the fly, held him upside down over top of the Guinness, and said, Spit it back, you bastard! Spit it back! Okay, now, at the (laughs) beginning of the podcast, well, actually, before we went on the air, you told me you had two jokes that speak to the rule of three. Yes. Okay, so it's just because there are three things in each joke. Yes, uh, right, right. Okay, see, it's just it's it's something that kind of like works out perfectly, like in literature, right, and everything, and and in jokes, it, it works very well in comedy. There's always like three aspects to it, right? Three guys walk into a bar. There's three things that happen to a guy. You know. All right. All right, well. It's perfect, perfect way to, to start the podcast. Okay, and if you would like to comment on Wayne's joke-telling abilities, you can shoot us an email at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com. At the website, be nice there. Uh, you can leave a voicemail using the Leave Voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clip, send the MP3 as an attachment, or send us a tweet at sci-fi tv rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group join the and I'm taking there. bookings too so I can you know come tour on a to your hometown okay <laughs> all right a little bit of housekeeping uh you know as we do each week remind you we're going to take a look at Michael Crichton's Westworld when it airs in October the other thing I received a advanced reading copy of a forthcoming librarian's companion novel apparently it's the first one to hit uh, the bookshelves, and it's the first of three that are planned. It's going to be released October 11th. I've finished it. I thought I was doing... Rule of three again there. Yeah, there you go. I thought I was doing a review for Den of Geek, but now that's not going to happen, so I'm going to talk about it here. I'm going to do a take five in the next week or so, so if you're interested, check that out. I'll keep you posted on that. I think you'll really like it if you're a librarians fan. And if you're not, why would you be listening to us? So right, if you're not a librarians fan, then you're probably just like, what are these guys talking about? So when they told you that they weren't going to do the book, were you like, so do you, did you watch Seinfeld back in the day? Uh, sure. Yeah. So like, what am I going to do with all this paella? Yeah. <laughs> well, right? not quite. I mean, <laughs> I took a bunch of notes. I just didn't really start. Well, I did have my opening written, but uh, that's okay. Uh, now, more housekeeping. The Fateless Podcast at gmail.com email is no longer operational. I'm not sure if anybody was using it because I, I probably had it forwarding to the Sci Fi TV Rewatch Gmail. But if you were using it, don't do it anymore. Hit us up at Sci Fi TV Rewatch. 
Right. Now, a few listener shout-outs this week. Lori Schaefer, Gray Bell, Jane Grafham, Diana92345, Raven McBain K, Gloria Tadero, Danielle Landon, Mona Crooks, Jessica Gerardo, Taltos, of course, Jeff Rutherford, and Rachel Boatman. Appreciate you guys taking the time to retweet, tweet, whatever. All right, last thing, and this is a quiz question for you, Wayne. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, you know, e- either next week or maybe the week after, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the genre shows that are getting ready to begin this fall, and we've got quite a lineup. So, which night do you think offers the most genre fare? Hmm. I'm going to go for Wednesday. You would be wrong. Wednesday's like the 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 least. Really? Okay. I'll give you a second guess. Okay. <laughs> well, I think we can roll out Saturday and Sunday and probably Friday can, too. Can we? Can we? Oh, Sunday. And you would be right. Yeah, Sunday's right. the most. Okay. On the one hand, I was surprised, though on the other hand, I thought, well, no. That, you know, because of course we're we're talking about shows that appear on HBO and Showtime. Sure. So, but we'll talk well, That's like, you know, it really I mean, this is like Game of Thrones turning television basically well not just game of thrones but hbo you know dictating how people watch television like sunday night is now like a thing right sure and it's basically because hbo ran you know runs their their big shows on sunday nights have your kids seen that commercial she spent the summer binge watching tv shows now she's gonna binge watch homework and she hands her daughter a new backpack from staples (laughs) Uh, no, okay. I, we, I, I, we're not big on commercials. All right. All right. Well, let's get to the librarians. And this one, as we said, episode seven, but it is intended to actually be episode nine. This is the ninth episode that we've talked about. The Librarians and the Rule of Three, written by Paul Guyot, who did Santa's Midnight Run and The Apple of Discord, and Kate Rorick, who did Fables of Doom. Directed by Mark Roskin, Horns of a Dilemma, and Apple of Discord. And this one aired as the seventh episode on January 11th, 2015. And as I said, it should have been 109, which is, of course, how we're viewing it. So uh, one guest star that you and I talked about the other day, Bex Taylor-Klaus, who plays Amy Meyer. Now, she appeared in Scream the TV series and Voltron, Legendary Defender, but that's not how I knew her. And, and you said you recognized her, right? You just couldn't place her? Yep. I knew her as Bullet in The Killing, which not a genre show, but uh, it was still a great show nonetheless. But it was her appearance in Arrow as the character Sin, who I think she was Roy's friend, right? Uh Yes. Yeah, she, she was like Roy's kind of like homeless friend. Right. So she probably had a crush on Roy, but was certainly uh, somewhat despondent when it- She had a crush on Roy, an attitude, and a leather jacket. There you go. Boom. Rule of three again, my man. Look at that. Well played. Nice. <laughs> uh, but she was great in this. I mean, certainly the total opposite of characters that I've seen her play. And she was, you know, did a really great job in this episode. All right. So for me- in terms of initial observations, as a follow-up to City of Light, I, I thought it was really cool that here it's that science can become indistinguishable 
from magic. And of course, when we you know go back in history to prehistoric times, of course, a lot of mythology is based on the fact that man was just trying to make sense of nature. Well, it was cool because, like you said, the last one was just pretty much all science. There's no magic really involved at all. It's just it's just science. And here, it's a science fair, right? Absolutely. And, and how apropos, we're recording this on Monday, August 29th, our first day back to school with students. And, and the first day, you know, we, we complain a lot, but uh, I think we both like what we do. However, sure, the first day... I wasn't sure I was going to be able to record tonight because I wasn't sure I'd have much of a voice left, but yeah, we're doing okay yeah, we so always far. do a lot of talking that first day. That sure. first day, exactly. And as you said, it, how apropos, it's a STEM fair. And if you yeah. don't, don't know what a STEM fair is, then you probably don't have teenagers or... <laughs> or little kids or kids or, you know, like, you know, kids in science and elementary or middle school or... Anything. Right. And, and the interesting thing for uh, the two of us is the the highly competitive nature that comes across at this STEM fair. And it's something that, that Wayne and I can relate to because the school in, in which we teach is one of the most highly competitive in, in our state. I think everybody yes. would agree with that. Sure. I, I think that's pretty pretty uh, solid statement to make there. Exactly. And, and Cassandra's assessment, I think, certainly applies to our school. Blood on the floor, best mind wins. And this is like the, the thing, and we've talked about this before, when uh, TV goes to high school, it's usually full of cliches of, of high school kids. But I thought this episode did a pretty good job of kind of, while yes, using the cliches to poke fun at uh, the high school experience of high school kids, but also to kind of buck some of those cliches and make some real characters here and like uh, characters that we only got to see for a little bit, but yet uh, maintain some level of depth. Yeah. And and I think the thing we saw out of Amy's character is that intense pressure that parents can sometimes put on their children and a child like Amy would probably strive to succeed anyway. It's just that, that, I think she even points out. But they out, need that push, Dave. You know they need that push. Well, some do, of course. But, uh, you know, some don't. And I think in some cases, it just perhaps even pushes them the wrong way. And you have the unintended sure. consequences. Well, if anyone who's been a teenager in their life knows, there comes a point where uh, too much parental interference starts to have a deleterious effect. Yes. So, All right. We always talk about the pairings. This week, mm-hmm. we had Colonel Eve Baird and Jacob Stone together, and of course, Cassandra and Ezekiel together. Yeah, again, I mean, I don't, we, we bring it up, but as we said, w- with only six, there are only so many pairings that, that you can have, and, and that's six if we have Flynn, who I did. Right. I, I, I had to figure that out for a second. I'm like, six? And I got you. All right, Flynn and Jacob. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I had time. I was caught up. I went ahead and watched the season finale yesterday. Ah, so you cheater. I know. All right. I love Ezekiel's comment about high school. It's like prison. You find a crew to run with. And of course it got me to thinking, was Jones in prison? Yeah, not necessarily. He might have just you know, watched Oz and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, he seems a little soft to have been in prison, you know? Yeah. Well, the other thing that I really liked about this episode and it really struck me is that 
the show continues to get a bit darker, yet it manages to stay out of the pit of despair. Sure. And that's part of the beauty. I mean, there's so many aspects about this show, as we've said, as we've done this podcast. But you know me. I like dark. That's that's why I've always liked Arrow better than The Flash, and I really love The Flash. I, I've loved The Flash more as it got a bit darker. And, of course, now it looks like Arrow's going to get a bit lighter. Does it? Well, I mean, it, it seems as if it might go that way. Well, I guess. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, well, where are they? Yeah. Actually, I'm wondering where Arrow is going to go, you know? Well, apparently a lot of people are wondering that same thing, but we're not here to talk <laughs> about Arrow tonight. Right. So the other thing, you know, that that we really see Cassandra, I mean, she's clearly in her milieu here, but she's so deeply burdened by her past experiences, almost to the mm-hmm. point of giving up. But Well, how how messed up is that, right? I know. Like, not only do you find out you have a tumor... But your parents junk all of your trophies, like WTF, right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> I mean, like, 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 the, where, like, I mean, it's just it boggles my mind. You know, it's just like, man, like, you, you really, and what it does. Obviously, it seems kind of outrageous and a little bit out there to have that, but certainly it helps develop even more sympathy for Cassandra, right? Oh yes, and and. The fact that she's given the chance to help someone just like her. In fact, I think it's Amy that says, you're one of us, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And, and the joy that that- One of us. One of us. Well, you ever see Freaks? I don't think so. What? You never saw Freaks? No. I don't, Dude. I don't think so. Is it a movie? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like a very low budget, older black and white movie, that, uh, but it's like this cult classic about circus freaks and everything. Oh, I've seen Freaks and Geeks. also a cult classic but a different level okay um but but i really like the fact that that it did help her i think really deal with her demons that that she's still got inside of her and i'm not going to say it breathes new life into her but it certainly helps her transformation into you know i I guess a more complete self-actualized individual and it's certainly just not the way her parents envisioned it and as you alluded to a minute ago I don't know what the hell they were envisioning. But despite here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because despite all of these horrible things that have happened to her, she is still this just like optimistic, like she gets so excited about things. She's, you know, like she gets pumped and like shaking and throwing her hands in the air. And that's awesome. You know, it's like so despite all these bad things happening to her, she's still like this totally upbeat person. Oh, I mean, the scene when she's standing in front of the stage, I I think right at the beginning when she realizes, you know, what's going on here. It's like she's at a rock show in in the front row, you know, pumping her fists in the air. And, oh, it's just it was just so great to see. Yeah, it's kind of like with the the Christmas episode, you know, when she like say that's real. Yeah. Her eyes bulge out and she throws her hands. It's great. Now, love it. So the emotional journeys of all the characters continue, except Ezekiel. And again, I wonder when we're going to get to see some of his story. I don't know if we really get even in season two. I'm trying to think back, but, you know, he still kind of remains the kind of mystery man, you know? Well, I don't know if you've been following 
Kevin Batchelder on Facebook, but he's been teasing us with his rewatch of season two. He's just he just puts it out there, rewatching season two, episode two, the librarians, and he puts the little graphic there. He doesn't, you know, discuss it, just <laughs> throwing it out there. Right, so, right, right. He's always messing with us. I know. All right. So hopefully we'll see a deeper side of Jones at some point. But but yeah, you know, we, we don't need to see a deeper side of him though. You know, he's like pretty awesome as is. You know, like kind of he's despite appearing superficial. I mean, there is actually a lot of depth. We've seen a lot of facets of his character. We just don't know a lot about his backstory, right? Well, right. But I, I, again, I think with just the five characters and, and you know six if we count Flynn, I, I think you have to expand you know the the scope of what we know about them otherwise it's just going to get boring i mean we're just going to see jones as this flat one-dimensional character that's just there for comic relief that's what i'm saying i think they've already gone beyond him being flat and one-dimensional okay they showed a lot of aspects of his personality we just don't know where he comes from or what happened to him before you know the librarian how did he get to be a thief right yeah, yeah. because you know as we saw with dark angel we worried that Joshua was going to be one-dimensional, always comic relief, and of course he he developed into you know a multi-layered character. Yeah, kind of. Well, yeah. Look, as we said at the time, I mean that they they continued with some of the dog jokes. Right. They they right. eased up on it, but but his character. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, they definitely they put a lot of depth in that character for sure. Right so. now, I guess on the one hand, this is again Cassie's story and that's great but it but it seems as if Eve is more Wait, affected is it Dave well is it? whose story do you think it is I think it's probably more Cassie's than other people but I think it's really doesn't so much really center on one person well that's true but, but we, we get probably more revealed about Cassie as a character than the others but I think it's not really like whereas last episode was clearly a Jones not Jones a Jacob Stone episode um, and you know the Christmas episode was clearly an Eve episode I don't know if this one is necessarily clearly a Cassandra episode right now we do get a pretty big reveal in this episode and it's it's if you didn't pick up on it in this episode I wouldn't say that really per se well I I, it's hard to hear even what she says and I know like what she meant, but I didn't really, I, I, I didn't catch what she said very well. Well, you know, I, I've said this before uh, that that my wife, I mean, her hearing's not great. I mean, you know, she certainly can get by. It's it, it, I have to turn the TV up a little louder than I would necessarily like. But I've gotten used to having closed captioning on, and as I take notes for podcasts and and you know the reviews for for den of geek i've found that having the closed captioning on is really beneficial and this is a case where i do know what she said so i you know looked it up on wikipedia so say? well we'll get to that about okay. who, about who jenkins is sure however however it's driven home in the season finale so that sure. there's no mistake yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah all right yeah i do that but like when she said it like I was like, uh, what'd she say? And, and I know who he is, so I know what she should have said. But what she should have said is not what she said. Right. All right, now you're confusing me, <laughs> right? Well, like who he is, like what I know the name of who he is. That's not the name she said. She said some like Latin name or something, right? Right, but when you look it up. But anyway, yeah, but you have to understand what she said in the first place to look it up. You're and right. if you don't have your closed captioning on then you can't really understand what she said. 
That's true. Right? That's you're right. I'd have to like you know roll it back and you know watch it a bunch of times. And despite this being called sci-fi TV rewatch, that I'm not doing that. Okay. I did get one back roll it back one time though. I gave it a second shot and I didn't understand it the second time either. All right. Well, the other thing <laughs> that I really liked, and again, it, it's kind of a precursor to the season finale, that Eve is once again trapped in another dimension, albeit for a millisecond this time. But Jenkins questioning her decision-making skills has to hurt and kind of uncalled for. Now, in a storytelling examination, I really like that because it, it adds so much to the overall story arc, but. Well, it's the, the classic TV conflict. Do I sacrifice the people here immediately to save the law? Well, but, but she doesn't even really, I don't think, I think the problem is Eve does not appreciate uh, how dangerous uh, Morgan Le Fay is. Right. Right. So for him to kind of dump on her because of the decision she made, it's not fair. She doesn't under, really appreciate or understand, as Jenkins clearly does, the, the danger that this woman poses. So, of course, she's going to save the kids, right? Like, no question. Right. And, and they seem to be put in the position quite often of making those kinds of calls. And, you know, we had the kids back at the, the house. Of course, it was, uh, you know, not exactly what we thought it was, but they thought they were going in to try to save some kids. So, all right. Well, why don't we take a look at this episode? Not Let's necessarily scene by scene, but. No, that would take forever. Yeah. Uh, opening scene, high school kids getting dressed for school in preparation of delivering his science fair yep. project. Jonah. What's that? Jonah, right? Right, right. And he is, uh, again, he, he's the he, he's typical kid at our school. Yeah, right? it's, I, I definitely recognize this kid type. Right. Uh, he's yeah. memorizing his science fair STEM speech as well as studying. He's got some kind of words on the wall or chemical compounds or something. He's like multitasking two subjects you know what, at I, once. You know, it's funny. In my notes, I said, kid getting ready for a science fair. Looks like a River Hill kid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just read that. Yeah. Right. So he starts to freeze in place. I mean, we don't necessarily see anything cold right he, so is so it's just right now uh, yeah but then i noticed you know that that tear so why is he crying well because he just got frozen maybe see i'm wondering <laughs> is he so intensely into this academic uh. competition that he's crying because he's going to miss the stem fair <laughs> and a chance at the trophy I I tend to think they probably just did it as emotional effect to show that like the kids he's still alive, right? Right. Now, uh, if if you remember back on the Facebook group, Onara made us aware of John Rogers' physics background, and I wonder if this story has its roots in his own experiences. And you know, he didn't write this episode, but maybe he pitched it to another one of the team's writers. So, yeah, it could be interesting. All right, it's supposed to be the librarian's day off, yet they're all at the annex. Stone, because, of course, he's got access to all the world's art portfolios. Where else would he be? Sure. Eve, you know, in my notes, I put down that she apparently lives there now, but I think maybe, I forget exactly how Jenkins phrased it, but I I think maybe he was just implying that she's always there. But on the other hand, I think they have plenty of room at the library. Yeah, right. 
Stone, uh, I'm sorry, Cassandra has been sketching a map of all the ley lines they've uncovered. And then how classic (laughs) Jones enters through the portal indicates that he's being chased by police. Sounds like British police. Yeah. Those didn't sound like uh, American sirens to me. No, no, no. Made a very, very European siren type sound. So, you know, what's... But, like, you know, it's classic because he, like, shows up like, oh, what are you guys doing here? You know, like, clearly he was expecting everyone not to be there. Right, but I guess it begs the question. I I used to bring this up all the time with Continuum. Where's Kira Cameron getting her money, right? Because the whole working for the VPD under the guise that she was part of some other secret government organization, right? Right. Who was paying her? And the question yeah. is, I don't know, nobody. One time, like she was able to hack an ATM, right? Well, that was in the first episode, so that, right. so that begs the question: Was she doing that on a weekly basis? I, I, I think they probably just, yeah, like maybe just, um, like yeah, suspension of disbelief, Dave. Right? They uh, just no. said we we showed you one time that she could hack an ATM. Any questions you have about where she gets money? Just assume she's out there hacking ATMs. So, do the librarians get paid? Yeah, probably not. I I don't know. Okay. Right. Yeah. How they get how would they get paid? Who's so, gonna pay him, right? Well, what was he planning to do with the painting? Clearly he wasn't bringing it back to the annex to Right. So bringing yeah, it back I mean, that's what he does, right? Uh, okay. So is it just he he just can't help himself? Did he plan to sell it because he wants the money? Or is it just simply as you kind of alluded that it's just what he does? Maybe it's not even about the money. It's about the challenge. Exactly, and I, I, that's what I would go with that last one. I think that uh, he, you know, he just like it's like what he does. It's it's like you know he's not happy unless he's challenged by some kind of thieving conundrum. So, uh, yeah, right. And fortunately, they need him to steal things within the context of the the different quests that they've been going on. So, or you could say, fortunately, fortunately. Because it's always awesome when he has to do that, right? All right. So they're all standing there, much to Jenkins' dismay. The clippings book starts shaking, floating in the air, and then opens to a page directing them to a Chicago STEM fair, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Needless to say, Cassandra is the only one who knows what STEM is and is beside herself with glee. And we, you know, we mentioned that, that, that we see her happier, I think, in this episode than we've ever seen her brain grape or no yeah yeah like i said i mean like her um excitement here is you know very similar to the her level of excitement with, you know with uh, the christmas episode with santa well in, in fact when lucinda is that her name now the, lucinda mccabe right yeah. right she's giving that introductory speech and cassandra's all smile. she's bouncing up and down she knows the group's catchphrase and if you look at the other one eve's yawning Stone appears as if he doesn't know how the hell he got there. Jones seems embarrassed to be even present at this event with a bunch of geeks. But when they tell her that they're the librarians, in retrospect, I was—I guess I'm surprised she didn't make any kind of a connection. She just thought that they were normal librarians, I guess. Uh-huh. But... That, yeah, well, like they're supposed to be the judges, right? Well, it's almost as if she wasn't sure who the judges were supposed to be. Well, then where were the real judges? I mean, would the real judges... Have you ever known a librarian to be late? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, especially our two. Right, yes. Yeah. All right. They are very punctual. Exactly. All right, so gotta love the kid with the paper mache volcano. Yeah. 
I'm telling you. Well, that's a, you know, I like, you know, because, uh, you know, Ezekiel is just like, you know, where's, where's the, where's the volcano, <laughs> right? Like all these amazing things. He's like, where's, where's the volcano, the paper mache volcano? And then he sees it's like, finally. Well, you know, it's funny. My best friend in high school, he was this kid. Every high school's probably got one. He failed science every year and won the science fair every right. year. And I know one year he did have a volcano. Now, I didn't, because I, of course, didn't go to the science fair. Why would I? But I saw his test. You didn't participate? You, uh, didn't, you, didn't, you no. never did the science fair? Uh, I did not. Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh, man. I know. Which is ironic, because that's that was my dad's field. But anyway, I saw some of my friends test, what is it, volcanic? Volcano? Yeah. Well, volcanic eruption? Yes. And yeah. they were pretty impressive. So yeah, it was that was always a pretty cool experiment, you know. Yeah, or, or project, I should say. Right now, these kids were a little bit more advanced than that, as of course some of the projects that we see at school as well. But sure. uh, well, we got kids making freaking robots and stuff that can shoot foul shots. So, <laughs> right, you know, like that's pretty far cry from the volcanic, uh, the baking soda volcano, you know. But this was probably my favorite line in the whole episode the kid with the paper mache volcano wants to leave he he wants no part of being here and eve asks him what's wrong stone ever the opportunist i'll tell you what's wrong he brought a paper mache volcano to a right well it's a classic play on the whole he brought a knife to a gunfight right 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 and i i just loved it because he didn't i love that he didn't get it out it was like eve no stop don't even go there Oh yeah, right. <laughs> and then Eve's kind of thrilled, telling him he shouldn't be discouraged just because he feels he's out of his league. You're the underdog, you know. Revel in that. And then, of course, he mixes his ingredients at the same time. Jones notices something's wrong with that Newton's cradle device that he's playing with. All of a right. sudden, the volcano explodes, leading Stone to notice. Is that magic enough for you? Yeah, he said, what happened? My volcano freaking exploded. It was insane. Right, because at this point, they're questioning whether or not this is really a mission they should be on. Sure. Although, I guess you could argue after last week where, you know, it was really about science. So even Stone questioned the boy. And, you know, the first time I watched it, I'm thinking like, all right, they have an interrogation room in that high school? Man, we need need one of those. I think we do. And then I realized, you, you know what it was, right? Um, I don't know. There was a picture of the Unabomber there. There was a play going on. It was part of the stage. Oh. So I don't know what play they were doing that had the Unabomber. I was wondering why they had a poster of the Unabomber. <laughs> I didn't catch that the first time. I'm thinking, okay. What high school has an interrogation room? Well, like I said, I think pretty much every high school has one day. Well, they Come need on. one. But yeah. she uses her sex appeal, which works, but she doesn't get any information. Stone takes over and asks what the kid meant when he said he shouldn't even be here. And then, of course, he tells Stone that he was the fifth alternate. And, and obviously, Stone starts making sense of what's going on here is that somebody's taking out all the contenders. Question, right. question is why? Or who? Or who? Absolutely. At this point, we don't even question Lucinda. Lucinda. So, right. All right. Yeah. So Cassandra Jones tried to narrow their search. But I did because I've seen this episode. Well, I know. But I, you know, like <laughs> I told you before, I'd seen them all, but I guess I binged right. them. 
Right, right, right. Which is good, as it turns out, because I don't remember everything. It was almost two years ago, too. Right. But then he wants to go by his hunch, you know, that that gut feeling, which, of course, is antithesis of what Cassandra feels. You know, you've got to take the scientific approach. Take the, I I guess you could even argue the Poe detective, deductive reasoning approach. The empirical approach. But not a hunch. Right. But Jones is all about hunches. Of course. Yeah. And then Jenkins shows up with an attitude that's closer to Cassandra's, notices that the laws of physics are starting to bend. And then I'm not sure where he, you know, how he made that leap to you're looking for a coven. A group of magic users working together, and this is the first time we hear about looking for the pattern of three. We haven't really had any witchcraft in the librarians up to this point, right? Not that I can remember. No, but it happens all the time in Supernatural. And I like it. It's it's awesome. I mean, witchcraft, it's magic, I guess. Yeah, it's just... But it wasn't like witchcraft. Like, like the people did like knowingly, I mean, they, they were... I can't remember how they're doing it, but it was like... Well, you wonder, because we know that Amy's mom is the one that bought her the app for her phone, right? Right, right. It's the app. Right, right. It's the app. So it's it's like witchcraft, but it's not like they don't know it is, right? Well, right. And, and the irony is it's probably all the parents that are responsible. Exactly. Well, that is, yeah, that is the irony. Right. So we're introduced to what we think is the coven, the two girls and the goth guy. Of course, because when you're talking witches... You got to start with the goss. And clearly they're planning something nefarious. Sure. Lighting candles above the scene. Right. And I'm thinking at this point, all right, this is going to be a red herring, which it was. It was. (laughs) But they did it so well. Stone and Eve approach. But it seems to just be an elaborate way for the guy to ask Amy Meyer, the girl that's got the overbearing mother, to the prom or on a date or whatever it is. Uh, I think I believe it was to some kind of dance, maybe the prom. Yeah, uh, you know, like Dave. Side note here, like as high school teachers, kids, stop with the ludicrous asking out ceremonies here. Just walk up to the girl and ask her out. Don't freaking send her ten dozen roses by five of your friends. Don't like write her a song that you sing over the intercom. Just go ask her. That's all you need to do. Oh, uh, and, and trust trust us. We have seen, uh, as my father used to say, if you put that much time into your studies, you'd have a 4.0. Yeah. Well, you know what, what was the worst is I remember uh, a girl one year who had uh, bought, she got like a pizza and she arranged like to, for like the pepperonis or something to spell prom. And she, so she asked the boy, uh, she like in the middle of class, she had the pizza delivered. She came up, gave it to the boy, opened it up, and he said no. Ouch. I was like, what kind of cad says no? <laughs> like, come on. It's just, oh, my God. It was just, uh, my heart was breaking for her. It was. Did he keep the pizza? No, she brought it back. She's like, you want some? <laughs> Your pity pizza? No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Uh, oh, the poor kid. Well, Stone seems to get a kick out of that, which I, I thought was pretty funny. But then talking to Cassie and Jones, the kid has this swarm of flies fly out of his mouth. And, yeah, and of course, that was 
horrible, horrible CGI though. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it was still pretty gross. And, and it was gross, but I mean, it just it was like it was like bad. It was like you know, like again, when it takes you out of the experience, you know, where like you're like, oh, that's so CGI. You know, where like you totally notice that it is, and it's just that's it pulls you out of the story, right? But I, I also like the fact that it, look, ordinarily flies we equate with evil of some sort that you know the manifestation of evil and, and certainly in films we we've seen the whole flies coming out of the mouth thing and it's gross no matter when you see it sure. right but it, it's not really accurate in this case i mean i mean it is but it isn't i mean it's it's, it's, it's not, not what flies coming out of a kid's mouth that's not accurate dave seriously well it, it's not the kind of evil we thought it was going to be I'll just say that. And we'll just, you know. What, what do you mean by that? Clarify. I think on the one hand, all of this is about good intentions, parents wanting their kids to succeed. Obviously, they go too far. Uh, obviously, it, it's uh, a violation of academic integrity, something we talk about <laughs> right, <yes. laughs> quite a bit and talked about a lot today. Yes, But, you know, at the heart of it, it it's, it's just about wanting to do right by your kid now it's twisted it's wrong it's all of that but it but it's not evil in the sense that uh so well these people aren't doing things that they don't realize they're hurting other kids right right that they think they're just helping their kid right exactly and they don't see beyond the fact that that if my kid wins because of this advantage I've given them than some other kid that maybe was playing fair loses, but I don't care about that. All right. So the team determines that whoever's behind what's going on must have something to focus the magic, but is likely unaware of the rule of three, which amplifies the power. I think it's Jenkins that tells them that, right? And they need to find the source of the magic after Eve uses her trace the source of the WMD reasoning, which it makes sense. Did you just totally skip over like Jacob trying to like uh, get the pep talk to the? No, that that that's I'm getting ready to do that now, okay. and, and that was great. Go, you know, go ahead. No, I just like well, I, I mean, we can get there. Well, well, no, you know, it's like Stone thinks he knows what's going on, finds that heartbroken goth guy sulking right. in the science lab. Yeah, yeah, it gives a little adult pep talk, you know, like. And I don't know if kids are like really, you know, are like down with the I've been there talk, you know, like I've, I've been through what you went through. So it's not so bad. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll move on. But uh, you got to love the quoting Lord Byron, though. Man, oh, right? well, no question. And, and the fact that he knew that's where he would be because she lives, breathes and works here. Sure. And then, like you said about quoting, I mean, it's on the one hand. It is kind of remarkable how Stone handles it. You know, this kid is the quintessential loner, feeling he doesn't belong in any group. And then, you know, as you said, starting to quote Byron's poetry, she walks in beauty like the night and, you know, points out to the kid that Lord Byron was really the first true goth. And then, you know, that whole tale of individuals I don't, I don't wearing. Know if Byron would hold with that, but, you know. Well, but... I know, but. Uh, but but weaving that tale of individuals wearing costumes simply to fit in 
and then admitting that he too wore one for too long. Sure. So are, are we to understand that he's talking about what he's been doing with his time before becoming a librarian, right. working yeah, all the... Know, yeah, we know he, he hid his intelligence and his talent, you know, behind whatever, you know, like we know he stuck around to help his family out and that he's, you know, has published articles under a pseudonym. So he is definitely just has hidden uh, part of himself from other people and portrayed an outside appearance that did not re- truly reflect who he is. And then his, his question, you like the girl, don't let your costume stop you. Right. And, in this episode, I, again, I think the strength of this episode is that we see Cassandra really able to work through some of her issues by helping somebody that she sees that was like her, and Stone maybe doing the same thing. You know, we don't we. I yeah. mean, we know some of Stone's backstory, but you know, we do, we don't know. You know, maybe there was a time we'll find out that you know there was a girl Stone liked, and for whatever reason. No, he didn't step up. Sure. But so they determine Amy's the front runner. She's got to be the target, though. She hasn't been hit yet. And, you know, of course, this is when we figure out because Amy's mother or is it Amy's phone registers on the Jones meter. <laughs> right. Uh, I, th- I think it's a, it's her mom's, right? I, uh, I care. Oh, well, whatever. But yeah. uh, we find out that somebody turned a magic spell into an app. Love it. Yeah, right. Well, they got apps for everything nowadays, Dave. Of so course, it's just not surprising. There's an app for that. <laughs> All right, and, and then of course, this is when we get into that whole idea that that any sufficiently disguised magic is indistinguishable from technology, which on one level is pretty frightening. Yeah, I mean, they just like as they kind of were, was drove home last episode is that. Yeah, magic and, and science sometimes are kind of indistinguishable from one another, yeah. Yeah. Now, did it strike you as odd that for a thief, Jones seems to have a lot of computer programming expertise? Now, does that maybe just go along with his uh, needing those skills to break into some of these highly sophisticated museums or... Yeah, I think so. Like, if you're going to be the best thief in the world, you got to be pretty computer literate, right? Okay, and, and I guess maybe that speaks to something you know we we talked about at the beginning of the season that it seems odd and maybe even unlikely that he would have never worked with a team. Although maybe I've just seen too many Ocean's Eleven movies. Yeah, I think that's it. So, but Jones, in fact, brings up that the evidence shows Amy is the one person that is not using magic. And I, I really liked, again, that scene where she says, you know, my mom bought it for me. And look, I, again, you know, how many times have we heard kids try to weasel their way out of things? But it's just that when she says, look, you know, I thought about it. I even opened it, but it just it just felt wrong. You know, I, it, yeah. I don't know if she says it, she felt dirty or whatever, but but it was just clear that there was no way she was going to do it. It's not the way she wanted to win. Well, she's got integrity, right? Absolutely. And obviously, Cassandra sees herself in Amy, who says, you know, she only wants to be seen as a whole person. And and again, it's that that understanding of what Amy's going through. You know, that whole idea where they say she wouldn't let you date. Oh, no. Go out to dances. Oh, no. 
Nothing right. that would get in the way of academic achievement. Which, you know, obviously Amy's not happy with that, right? Like she's she's not miserable. And she doesn't it doesn't seem like she really resents her mom too much. Like she's still, you know. But uh she does seem like she's missing she feels like she's missing out on uh a lot of the uh, teenage experience. Right. I and think she seems to be a little regretful of that. And I think you're right. I think she's smart enough to understand that her mom's out of control. I love my mom. I'm not going to hold it against her that she's out of control. Right. But then she asks Cassandra, did it get better? And she tells her the truth. No, it didn't. And, you know, I mean, it's momentarily heartbreaking, except that we suspect because of Cassandra's intervention, Amy might be able to avoid the miserable future that Cassandra had, that, you know, maybe there'll be something she can do to fix the relationship she has with her mother and have the kind of relationship she'd like to have. And at this point, you know, you mentioned already Cassandra's parents throwing out all her trophies. Again, what kind of monsters do that? Yeah. The, yeah. I, you know, I mean, maybe it, it comes from a, a place. I mean, it sounds like because they thought it would upset her too much. You know, that's probably kind of something they should run by her before they do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then ironically, Jones is eavesdropping on this conversation. And look, I, you know, I, I said that we haven't seen the kind of evolution from Jones that we've seen from the others, but he, I guess to be fair, he does evolve a little bit and actually asks Cassie about what happened to her life. And, you know, she tells him that when the vision started, she dropped out of school and because she did that, her parents disown her. Yeah. Do they not know she's got a tumor? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. How can but that, yeah, it's still harsh, right? I mean, what high school kid goes to the doctor and gets an MRI without their parents? Yeah, good question. So, all right, well, the contest sponsor, Lucinda McCabe, dodges a parent, goes through a door, and boom, she's in the annex. Well, you know, so there's kind of suspicious behavior leading up to, because she seems to be explaining away everything that happens. Well, she does, but I guess I just simply took it as somebody that wants the event to carry on, go to conclusion, you know, let's let's get this thing over with and move on from there. Right, which is exactly what they want you to think. Of, of course. Well, clearly she and Jenkins know each other. We find out she's Morgan Le Fay, sister of King Arthur, who- Well, I love that scene where they see each other. They're just like, like, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here? You know, just like, yeah, it's crazy. Which- Again, begs the question, she has to know about the library. How could she? I think we know she knows about the library. But she calls Jenkins, and here's where, you know, where we uh, were, I guess, disagreeing early in the podcast. Calls him Galeas, and okay, arguably I was able to read the closed captioning and could spell it and then look it up. Yeah, I, you know, I went back, Dave, didn't understand the second time, so. But it's just another name for Galahad, Knight of the Round Table. And then Eve fires three shots at her. The fact that the bullets stop and fall is kind of irrelevant. Eve does shoot at her. Right, especially since, you know, that happened in the Matrix, so. <laughs> well, right, but it, it goes back to a previous episode. I forget whether it was the last one or the one before that, where she doesn't want to be seen as just, you know, a killer. 
Right. Right. I mean, she is the guardian. We understand that. And, right. and that is her job. She does fire the gun, though. But she does fire the gun. Now, Lucinda puts magic in the hands of mortals so that they'll destroy each other. Just, you know, I guess just to sit back and, you know, be amused yeah. by what she sees because. Again, What's the show? Again, I mean, you, you know that they're going to you give people power, they're going to abuse it, right? Sure. I mean, there's that famous saying. Uh, but she thinks her hands are clean, so to speak. She's simply doing it to recharge her powers, stay young, which, again, I like was is sort of a callback to Duloc in the Santa episode about right. recharging uh, their powers. Sure. Now, once they realize that the table Amy's been assigned has five legs forming a pentagram, they need to remove the legs, construct a giant Faraday cage, to protect all the contestants, and I'm like, we've seen Faraday cages in a lot of shows, but I, I sure. there's one lost, I, lost, but there was another one. Can't remember what it was, but um, probably I'm thinking maybe the Flash, maybe, maybe, but they they realize they got to construct this giant Faraday I, cage. I had no idea what a Faraday cage was until I started watching sci-fi. Oh, oh no, me me either. <laughs> but. The contestants need to get inside. Some of them are balking. Amy stands up to her mother's protest, tells Cassandra that she'll help them. And then she gets up on the, hey, you know, it's me, Amy Meyer. You think I'm bluffing? And then, of course, everybody. Right. And she sacrificed her, you know, a bit, you know, like she can't win now, right? Right. She gets disqualified because of that. But she, granted, that's, small potatoes compared to saving people's lives but she like you know not necessarily everyone would make that choice right and, and you see the pride in cassandra's eyes when amy makes that choice sure so eve confronts morgan lefay actually gets in a punch or two which i'm not exactly sure how that happened and, and neither was morgan apparently eve used the app i guess as it turns out and was able to focus her power and then tells Eve that she has a choice, kill her or save the kids. You don't have time to do both. Well, obviously we know what choice, as you sure. mentioned, they're going to, she's going to save the kids. Each of the five takes a table leg. That was pretty cool. I know CGI and, and look, CGI is not the strength of the librarians. I think no, we can no, all no. acknowledge that, but that said, that's okay. Well, well this one, that wasn't so bad. No, like, I, I the, thought the it was pretty cool. Page. That was that was pretty good, yeah. And the goth boy joins Amy at her uh, you know, point in the pentagram. Yeah, again, nice call back to Stone and Mabel in last week's episode. Cassandra sees this, knows she's making a difference in this young girl's life, and they each hold the leg aloft, electricity begins to excite, and then, you know, finally stops. Now we get that black and white scene which was really cool. And, you know, where, where Eve finds herself alone at the STEM fair, but of course she's not alone. She's in this, you know, pocket uh, right. universe or whatever. Mor- oh, haven't heard that in a while, Mr. Fringe. There you go. Morgan's there. Of course, where is there? And, and Morgan tells her it's the space between time. All right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Doesn't Don't make understand. any sense really. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Eve tells her they're going to finish this fight. I finally have enough power to hide, Morgan tells her. Maybe even open a door to the Fae. 
or the Mirrorlands anywhere but this doomed little world when it happens. And we're like, when what happens? Yeah, whatever. It's not good. Now, we go back, and of course, we've heard Duloc say that basically he is going to blow things up. That, well, you know, 60, 70%, I think he say, will will die. But uh, it, it does sound as if we're talking about end of days kind of destruction right. here. And of course, we get the nod to the Fey. We don't, you know, it's funny. We, we don't hear that very often anymore. No. Uh, especially since Lost Girl went off, but here we go. Yep. She says, you'll understand, you've already been woven into the loom of fate, okay. which obviously harkens ahead to the season finale. Right, yep. And then I'm not going to... Which, which again, like if you talk, you think about the order that they went in, you know, this leads much more clearly into the last episode, right? right. Right, so I'll let Whereas you before go ahead. like episode seven. Right, and I'll let you go ahead and, and say the Latin line. Oh, I didn't write it down. <laughs> I, I wrote it down, but I still don't know how to pronounce it. But Oh, okay. So you're, just, uh, you're throwing me under the bus there, basically. Yeah, and, and she says to Eve, tell that to, what did he call himself, Jenkins? Fear not evil, fear heroes. Right. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I know what it means, but know. what does she mean? That, well, you just said she, you know what she means. Jen, but what, what is she saying? That Jenkins should be feared? Yeah. Well, Jenkins or maybe the librarians or whatever. Okay. Anyway, but that, that's just what a bad guy would say though, right? Of course. Like, so it's, I don't know if she's really to be trusted. She snaps her fingers. Eve finds herself back at the STEM fair. Amy's been disqualified for putting everybody at danger. Sure. Yeah, it is clearly happy with herself. The judges, at this point, it's just Stone and Cassandra. Their winner, <laughs> Leonard Cole, Volcano Leonard! Board. Yeah. And Cassie's really happy because Leonard represents that well-rounded teenager she wishes she could have been. And then in the aftermath, we you know the musing about the day's events, Cassandra's approached by Jones, who tells her her idea with the legs was great. And then she says that it might have been too easy. So is she suspecting something may not be finished here? Did Morgan allow them to save the kids? Sure. Is there something more foreboding on the horizon? That seems clearly to be the case. Yeah. Well, especially since Jake is so upset that they uh, didn't kill Morgan. So it seems like he's upset because she's, Going to be up to more no goodness. Right. Well, he's hiding something behind his back, gives her a crystal trophy that she clearly knows that he stole, but hey, it's the okay. thought that counts, right? Well, that's because when they give go to give Leonard the trophy, they can't find it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she takes his hand and off they go. And, you know, we talk about the episode debriefs, which I really think are a real strength of the show. Uh, one of the things that, that I don't necessarily like about agents of shield i mean uh, i I like 95 percent of it but the the little ending scenes i don't know sometimes it's almost like they're just not enough to really get a a strong point across and here it's not a joyous episode debrief no right jenkins tells eve that was a mistake and as you said he's upset that she didn't kill morgan but as she reminds him i'm not a hired gun and as I said before, she just does not appreciate 
the how apparently dangerous Morgan is. Well, right. And, you know, suddenly things get real as he tells her that the end is coming. And if she doesn't learn how to win the war instead of the battle, none of us will survive. Uh, you know, I do recall her sh- trying to shoot, you know, uh, Morgana, right? Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's not like she didn't try, Jenkins. So ease up, bro. Right. And obviously he doesn't know that, but still. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, just uh, a tremendous episode heading into the season finale, which, you know, you, you've seen, I told you, I watched it uh, yesterday. Um, and just just a tremendous way to end the season. Yeah, uh, well, awesome, we, we won't talk about it now, but but one of the things I love about it, it's it's not really a cliffhanger, but it's you know it just leaves you wanting more. We'll just leave it at that, and then we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> okay. So, anything else you want to say about this one? Nope, I think we got it. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm going straight A, not not quite A plus, but but certainly a solid A. Yeah, solid day. I'm good with that. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the pilots we saw, which seems like eons ago at this point. Tell us anything you think we should be watching. Tell us maybe what you're watching, which is maybe something we'll throw out there uh, in the coming weeks. Also like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the speak pipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to discuss the season one finale, episode 10, the librarians and the loom of fate. But until then, Dave, when you say my name, it's like a thousand angels singing. <laughs>